Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Well, folks, uh, very good evening and uh, a warm welcome here to uh, the Burghead Free Church building. At least that's where I am um, as you watch this at home tonight. My name is Peter. And I am the minister here at Burkhead Free Church, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this uh, first of our Sunday evening uh, equip sessions. Um, as you may well know, um, pre-COVID, we would have had an, an evening service uh, here in the building, of course. Um, it's currently difficult to do that because of the, uh, in part because of the cleaning restrictions um, associated with uh, COVID-19. And so we are now bringing you a, a monthly uh, session called Equip, and um, we're really excited about this. We'll be doing lots of different things uh, in these sessions, but the over, uh, overriding goal is to help uh, Christian people primarily uh, to uh, live out their faith uh, in the contemporary world. We'll be doing lots of different things which we hope will train us um, to that end. They will come in different formats as well. This first session will, uh, will be in the form uh, more of some, some straight uh, teaching, a talk, a presentation uh, tonight. Uh, but other months we'll have uh, interactive sessions uh, or interviews uh, where we'll delve into different topics. Um, so, for example, uh, next month we're really pleased to have um, Alistair Wilson with us. Um, Alistair is a Bible scholar who teaches at Edinburgh Theological Seminary, and uh, we'll be having a, a conversation, an interview with him um, about how it is uh, that, that we, as, as ordinary Christians, um, can read and rightly interpret the Bible, which is a crucial thing, and uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation uh, very much. Um, one of the other things, though, we hope to do with these equipped sessions is to, to try and address some contemporary issues from a biblical perspective. Um, we, we believe that uh, God, in his word, the Bible, always has something to say um, to the prevailing issues of our day. In fact, we, we believe that in the Bible we will find uh, great and challenging um, and wonderful insight that is much needed. After all, uh, God made us and he knows us. Uh, today we're going to tackle this subject, uh, which lives matter, addressing issues of race. Um, this is a hot button topic today. There are strong voices and strong feelings um, on all sides of the conversation. So before we go any further, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to pray for God's help and then I'm going to read a short portion from the Bible. So let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that because you are the God who made us, you are the God who knows us. We thank you, Lord, therefore, that your word is always uh, up to the minute and right on the mark. And we pray that you would speak to us tonight um, through your word in the power of your spirit. Help us to understand this uh, confusing and conflicted world we live in. Father, we pray that you would bring the clarity of your word to bear in our lives 
in this situation and with this issue. And we pray it to you for Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The words will come on the screen uh, in case you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, I'm going to read just a few verses. uh, Genesis chapter 1 and beginning at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. As we begin, let me uh, take a moment to be clear uh, about what I am, and importantly, what I am not trying to do in this talk. I am not trying to say everything that could be said on this issue of race. Um, This conversation of race, though of course it was triggered in many ways uh, by the killing of black Americans like Trayvon Martin and George Floyd, it is a huge topic much, much bigger than those individual cases. Um, So I can't speak to all of it. I am speaking primarily to Christians, and primarily to Christians in our own congregation here, to try and give, give us a biblical perspective on this. Let me say then very clearly that that my purpose is not to share my opinions on this topic. Um, What I might think uh, is not particularly interesting or important. I am trying to share what God has said. Uh, I'm aware also that this is a, a hot topic that stirs emotions Um, I considered preaching on this subject a couple of months ago. On reflection, I'm glad that I waited, Uh, partly because complex issues like this, uh, it seems to me, need two things that our 24-7 news culture often lacks. It needs time to reflect, and it needs nuance. It seems to me that one of the reasons our culture is struggling to process this issue is is the death of nuance, the the ability to appreciate that the subject is not simple and not one-dimensional. And in fact, can I say right at the start, as we look at the Bible, I think what we will hear will, will both encourage us and also challenge us Whatever we currently think about this issue and wherever perhaps we we feel we stand on on the left-right political spectrum, if that's even the right way to think about it, wherever you stand on this issue, I think you'll be comforted and encouraged but also challenged. Let me encourage you to hear both of those. I'm also aware that I am speaking on this subject as a white person who has never, as far as I can remember, suffered any form of racism. I'm therefore aware that some may not consider me the best person to speak on this issue. And I'm sensitive to that concern. Um, But as your minister, your, your pastor, I think it's important, as I've said, not to bring my perspective, but as straightforwardly as I can to teach the Bible, God's perspective on this issue. 
We're going to refer to the book of Genesis as we go along. Too often uh, people, I think, uh, get tied up in knots about this early part of Genesis. There are all kinds of uh, debates uh, about the creation account and contemporary science and how they uh, go together. But I think that debate is often a distraction because it focuses on questions that Genesis is not primarily addressing. And that's a shame because it distracts us from the important and profound things that Genesis is saying. I think these early chapters of Genesis are among the most profound words ever put onto paper. And they speak right into our contemporary situation. So we've got two headings today. Here's our first heading. It is this. Black lives really do matter. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, Because God made everything, what he says about race matters more than anyone else. And so listen to this, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 once again. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis, the, the, the human race are the crowning glory of God's creation. Um, and this, by the way, is, is where our modern idea of human rights comes from. The Constitution of the United States famously says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I put it to you, the only thing that the Constitution gets wrong there is to say that these rights, these dignities that all people have are self-evident. If, for example, you'd have said that to a citizen of ancient Rome, that all men are equal, they would have laughed at you. Countless civilizations would not have held those values. And so can I say, if you believe in human rights, you should be a committed Christian. Because only the Christian worldview has given us this doctrine. And this idea, of course, is key in the conversation about race. Because it means that all people, regardless of ethnic background, share a common ancestry. So according to the Bible, there is just one race, the human race. And every member of that human race, whether their skin is brown or black or white or anything in between, whether your name is is Michael or Miriam or Musa or Muhammad, whether you're rich or poor for that matter, able-bodied or disabled, every person is of equal value, dignity and worth. That way of thinking is a product of Christianity. And just as an aside, I think one of the great problems in Western culture today is that we want to keep these, what you might call fruits of Christianity, these these profoundly Christian ideas, but cut off the roots, abandon our Christian faith. But as any gardener knows, once you cut off the, the roots, the fruits don't last long. Let's move along in Genesis a little bit, chapter 3, verse 8. This is after our disastrous fall into sin. Listen to this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. Notice that the man (laughs) blames the woman. Sin, of course, breaks our relationship with God, but it also damages relations between people. And that tragic story is is fleshed out in the following chapters of Genesis. If you read on, it's not long before the first murder. And from there, we descend into people who are fragmented into groups and all at conflict with one another. So do you see conflict between people including racist attitudes, are a result of our fall into sin. In other words, racism, that is to look down on those or be suspicious of those or distance yourself from those who have a different skin color or ethnicity or background, that is a great sin. Now, the Bible doctrine that we call original sin tells us that that this sin is a universal problem. And so, therefore, is racism. Racism exists, and it exists in every culture. It is perfectly possible for you to harbor racist attitudes, whatever the color of your skin. However, we live in contemporary Scotland, where white-skinned people like me are in the majority. And so when our friends with darker skin tell us that they continue to experience racism of whatever kind, our response, our first response, should not be a defensive one. You're putting up the barriers and saying, no, well, I'm not a racist. That should not be our first instinct. After all, a fundamental part of of what it is to be a Christian is, is to acknowledge that you are a sinner. It is therefore perfectly possible, in fact quite likely, that we may still harbor racist thoughts or attitudes. As Christians who acknowledge our own sinfulness, we should be alive to the real possibility that that some kind, at least, of of racist attitudes still do live in us. And so our response should be to examine our hearts. The phrase systemic racism is used a lot. Now, systemic racism may not exist in Scotland in the sense that it's pretty hard to find a current law on the statute book which is actively racist. And indeed, it may well be, again, in large part, thanks to our Christian heritage and worldview, that that today Scotland is one of the least racist places to live on the globe. That may be true, and it is, yes, worth us remembering that we do live in one of the freest and fairest and most prosperous societies that's ever existed, and and we should indeed be grateful for that. Racism may not be systemic in the sense that it's hardwired into the law of the land, but it can still be widespread. It may not be written in the law of the land, but it can still be hidden in the sinful attitudes of our hearts. For example, repeated studies across the Western world have shown that those with 
uh, so-called foreign-sounding names were significantly less likely to be granted an interview for a job. More anecdotally, we hear from black friends sometimes that that they are reluctant to dress certain ways or or to be out and about at certain times of day because they fear that they will be unfairly uh, assumed to be up to no good. Now, don't mishear me. These are all complicated problems. I'm not saying that every one of these is an instance of, of racism. But as Christians who do know the sinfulness of our own hearts, we should be open to searching our hearts and our consciences. And we shouldn't be surprised if we do find racist attitudes lurking somewhere in there, even if they're buried quite deep. So when you hear of racism in our society, don't be defensive. I'm not a racist. Don't be dismissive. It's just a culture of victimhood and nonsense. Instead, be decisive. Decide to listen, for a start, to our black and ethnic minority friends. And decide to search your own heart for this sin. To do that is a profoundly Christian response. We are also commanded in Scripture to mourn with those who mourn. And so listen to those and mourn with those who have suffered racism of whatever kind. We should be sensitive to our own sin and repentant of it where we find it. And can I say we in the church have more reason than anyone else to have this attitude. The Jesus we worship when he became incarnate almost certainly did with a brown color of skin. We are members of the global body of Christ, that the church which is made up from people from every tribe and nation and tongue, and Jesus himself prayed for the unity of that church. When you look at me, you could say that that I am white, that I am a British citizen, born in England, live in Scotland. Those things are all true about my identity, but none of them are primary. Before I am any of those things, I am a citizen of the multiracial kingdom of God. It's a great tragedy then that, that in America, at least, at Sunday morning has been described as the most segregated hour of the week. It's a great tragedy that, that there, and perhaps in our own culture too, that, that, that churches have often become every bit as segregated into black and white as the rest of, the society, of society. It should be the opposite. In any town you visit, the church should be the most diverse gathering in town. Because the gospel is a great leveler. Because with Jesus, we know all of us are sinners And all of us are invited to repent and believe. And in the gospel, we're we're told uh, that that the the old boundaries of of race and ethnicity are broken down. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to him, says Paul. Now, look, here in Burkhead, I have to say, we don't live in a particularly ethnically diverse uh, part of the world, unless you count us funny English people. Nonetheless, we in our church should be a diverse 
gathering. And, and so I, I rejoice that, that in our congregation, we, we regularly do have folks who, who hail from all over Scotland, from most of the parts of the UK, and from America, and from China, and from Poland. I don't think I've missed any countries. Apologies if I have. We should be open to having not just members, but, but leaders, elders perhaps, who are from all different sorts of places. So, of course, our passage in Genesis that, that says we're made in the image of God, that clearly teaches us that all lives, every life, matters. That slogan, of course, is true. But, given that this is a white majority country, and that historically here, as in other countries, there has been significant racism... And given that there does seem to be some problem with racism that remains, it seems to me quite appropriate for Christian people to believe and to say that black lives matter. That statement is true and needs to be said. However, that is all complicated by the fact that black lives matter is not just a phrase... It is also, of course, a political movement, and it's a movement we need to understand, and that's our second point today. Um, I want to say, and this may be controversial, but biblically I think it's true, that Black Lives Matter is a dangerous political movement. Let me be very clear and stress this. We are talking now not about the phrase, the simple phrase, Black Lives Matter. That phrase is true, and we do believe it, and I think we should say it. My argument now is that Black Lives Matter, the movement today, is quite unlike the civil rights movement of the 1960s, which was self-consciously Christian. Martin Luther King Jr., for example, was a Christian minister, not a perfect man, but a Christian minister who consistently quoted from the Bible and from Christian ideas in his just campaign for civil rights. The Black Lives Matter movement, by contrast, is dangerously anti-Christian. From this point on, I'm going to use the acronym BLM, um, I'm not referring anymore to the simple statement that Black Lives Matter, but to the political movements. I'm going to say BLM to distinguish those two. If you're not yet convinced that, that, that BLM is a political movement with a very wide political agenda that's about more than just race, then, then listen to this. It's always best to take people at their own words. Uh, so here are some words from a 2015 interview uh, with BLM co-founder Patrice Cullors. She said, we are trained Marxists. We actually do have an ideological frame. Now, it might seem a little strange to you to hear a movement uh, which is ostensibly about uh, issues of race uh, speaking about being Marxist. Um, let me try and give some explanation of why they might be using that phrase. Now, some of the things I'm going to say are contested, um, but uh, this gives a reasonable explanation, I think. Of course, you'll know that historically the, uh, the, the, the ideas of Marx were, were primarily to do with um, economics, money and possessions. The idea, of course, uh, was that the, the, the proletariat, the working people, 
were, were suffering under the hands uh, of the bourgeoisie, the rich and powerful. And that in Marxism, the idea was that the proletariat would, would rise up in rebellion against the bourgeoisie and overthrow their rule, which would bring in uh, the, the free distribution or the fair distribution of, of wealth and material goods and so on. And by the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall and of communism in, in Eastern Europe, um, in the minds of many people, those ideas were, were economically discredited. Um, whatever the faults of capitalism, and there are many, um, Marxist communism uh, seemed actually to leave the poor much poorer. So that form of, of, of economic Marxism, historic Marxism, if you like, seemed to be somewhat discredited. Um, but many believe it, it has uh, remorphed and reshaped into something else. Um, the idea that some groups are oppressed by others is retained, uh, but now there's a different system. Uh, instead of being uh, what you might call economic Marxism, it is what some people today call cultural Marxism. That is the idea that there are a whole series of groups of people um, who are oppressed by others and that the best idea or the best way to understand and to frame the world that we live in is that it is a series of um, overlapping and interlocking groups who are oppressed by others. That is what many people call uh, cultural Marxism. Now, some of those terms and ideas are disputed, but hopefully that, that enables you to see uh, that BLM is about much more than just this one issue of race. That was cultural Marxism. Um, there is uh, on your handout the next point, which is queer theory. Um, in analysing BLM, by the way, we, we haven't dealt with rumour or speculation. We're looking at what the movement says about itself. So let me now quote from the BLM website. I should say that this page was actually taken down from their website about four weeks ago. And I suspect that's because uh, people began to notice it and it began to prove very controversial. Nonetheless, until four weeks ago, this is what the movement said about itself. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. Now, without getting drawn off into a hundred other different issues, that shows you that BLM believe that these issues of race are tied up with, amongst other things, at the transgender movement and the many other movements that go along with that. Here is a set of ideologies that, that reject the way God has made us, for example, as male and female, and instead embrace the dangerous idea that we can remake ourselves in our own image, however we please. And perhaps that's a topic to tackle another day, but that ideology is wreaking havoc in our culture, including amongst our children. Let me also add that, that there's a kind of tragic danger that, that if we go down this path of, of viewing the world merely as a, an interlocking uh, group of, of, of oppressed groups, 
then we will seek to talk more and more about those different oppressed groups. The danger then is that we will actually end up speaking more and more about what divides us and less and less about our common humanity. And so, ironically, these movements, at least, have the potential to highlight our differences, including our racial differences, and perhaps even exacerbate racial tensions. The third point here on your sheet, thinking about the BLM movement, BLM is profoundly anti-nuclear family. I quote again from their website. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. I think this is perhaps the saddest point of all. Back to Genesis, as well as showing us our unique and valuable human status, that we're made in the image of God, Genesis also shows us how to live best. In other words, what structures of society lead to human flourishing. Genesis 1.27 again, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. There's a little more detail on that in chapter 2, verse 23. The man said, speaking of the woman, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The the BLM movement is profoundly concerned, and I think rightly concerned, uh, with the the disadvantaged state uh, in which many black children and ethnic minority children grow up. Now, there are many complex reasons why children grow up in poverty and have poor education and end up in criminality. Um, And for for minority children, for for, for black children in in this culture, some of the reasons for that may well have to do with racism. And we must be serious about rooting that out in our own hearts and in our culture. But the tragedy of the BLM movement is that not just the Bible, but that study after study after study show that the biggest driver of poverty and criminality and all the rest is, in fact, the breakdown of the nuclear family and especially fatherlessness. BLM have set themselves up in opposition to the traditional nuclear family, and yet that nuclear family is God's good design And in fact, our greatest weapon in fighting the ills of society, including poverty, lack of education, deprivation of all kinds. All the studies show that the thing that makes the biggest difference to those is stable families with fathers. So as we Christians look onto this whole issue, I think we find ourselves feeling quite conflicted. There is a real problem, ongoing racism. We are being offered a solution 
that is buying into the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, some people feel that, that if they accept the reality of the problem that there is racism, and we should accept that, then we have to also accept the solution being offered. BLM and everything that comes with it. Some people, because they have concerns, rightly, about the BLM movement, will end up rejecting the problem and saying there is no racism. But we mustn't do that because there is. Instead, we, we must fight the evil of racism. But we don't fight it with cultural Marxism or with queer theory or with anti-family ideas but by bringing the truths of God to bear on this situation. These unique and precious truths that Christianity has gifted to our culture, that all lives, that black lives, really do matter and really are precious. Why? Because they bear the very image of God himself. We must fight for these ideas which are being so disastrously lost in our culture. But more than just that, we must make the good news of Jesus known. The good news that God in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has taken on flesh, most likely brown flesh, that he has come to earth to live a righteous life and to die a death for sins on the cross, including the sin of racism. And that he is now gathering a people to himself, a multiracial, multi-ethnic family from every tribe and tongue, the worldwide family of God. We fight the evils of racism by bringing the truths of God to bear and offering the gospel to people. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the profound truths of your word. Lord, we confess to you once again that, that we know our hearts to be sinful through and through. We know that that will include the sin of racism. Lord, we are deeply ashamed and truly sorry of those times when we have looked down upon people because their skin or their ethnicity appears different to our own. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for this sin of racism, that you would help us to root it out in our own hearts and in our wider culture. And Father, we pray too that the, the BLM movement would not take further ground in our culture. Lord, we pray that there would be a fresh realization of uh, the preciousness and the value of the nuclear family. Lord, we pray that you'd have mercy on our nation as we wrestle with these issues. That the gospel would take new ground. That new barriers would indeed be broken down from, from people from all different places. And that many would find that they are one in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, 
why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.